Welcome to the Early Childhood Intervention Family Voices podcast. We acknowledge traditional owners of the lands on which the podcast is recorded and would like to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families and professionals. We hope the podcast builds on families' knowledge, skills and confidence when navigating early childhood supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their individual stories as a family with a child with a disability or developmental delay. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VicTAS. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au. Hello, and you're with Simone Dudley, again hosting the Family Voices podcast. And I'm thrilled today to welcome back Leanne Hill as guest today. Leanne, we have just had as a recent guest on the podcast where she was sharing her story of accessing supports for her son, Angus, from a very remote location on an island off the Northern Territory area. And today, Leanne is going to share a story that involves herself. Leanne has recently been identified as autistic and ADHD. And Leanne, we're really looking forward to hearing about your story as being identified later and what that has felt like and meant for you. So let's make a start, Leanne. Tell us a little bit about what might have led to your diagnosis. Hi, Simone. Thanks for having me back again today. So I have a story which I feel isn't the typical story that we hear of as much with the late identification of the parent of a neurodivergent child. So we hear quite often of people going through that diagnostic process with that child and relating to what they're hearing in those sessions and saying, oh, that's me and having all these light bulb moments and then soon going off to have their own formal identification themselves. That was not my story. I didn't start going down that road myself until about 10 years after my son's identification. In my situation, my autistic presentation, my experience and my traits are quite different to that of my son. I'm also very highly masking. And as a result of that, it took me a while to realize about my own neurodivergence. The thing that really set off going down that path of identification for me was I recently completed a diploma and it was during those studies that I was working at a public library, I was home educating my son, I was managing his NDIS supports and I was studying a diploma all while my husband worked very long hours That was when the light bulb moment started to go off and I started to realise just how different I was to the other students and how differently I was approaching things and that started me questioning my own neurotype. Oh, gosh, that's really interesting. So because for those that just didn't tune into the last episode, for the preceding how long, 10-ish years you were living in a very remote location off the Northern Territory. 
Would it be fair to say that during that time you're in an isolated community, right? Yes. You end up living and working and spending time with people who you're working with, living next to. Like it, it is a small community and you do get to know all your neighbours and that sort of thing. And it is quite an isolating experience. You're in a bit of your own little bubble mm. on an island. Yeah. So it was actually participating in this course that started you really reflecting and thinking about the difference that was there. So then what did that mean for you? And then what happened? How did you navigate that? I've always been aware of the fact that I was different to others, you know, always been labelled as quirky, that sort of thing. But for me, it was much more highlighted in that study situation. I think for me, being so highly masking, a lot of people weren't necessarily identifying things that might have been a bit harder for me in life than other people. Instead, that they were seeing things as a positive. So, for example, I would have my assignments turned in as early as possible and people see that of oh you're working so hard you're so diligent but not understanding what's going on behind the scenes and the pressure on yourself to get that done quickly and get it turned in on time to ensure that you don't end up turning it in late or that sort of thing so I I think my outward presentation to others really did mask what was going on internally and the struggles that I might have been having to the point that Sometimes I wasn't even recognising when and where I was masking and that sort of thing. Incredible. And I can verify as an occupational therapist that partnered with you, Leanne, to support your son, Angus, this idea of this highly organised therapy partner that always had materials ready, that was always ready on time. Uh, so I can imagine the other students might have thought, oh, wow, you know, Leanne's really organised and on top of handing things in early, yet many of us don't really know what probably goes on behind the scenes for you to have achieved that. So who did you talk to? What did you do next? Um I actually went and saw my GP at first thinking only ADHD and he was the one that suggested to me that I look into the non-stereotypical presentation of autism that might be more of a typical experience for autistic women and women who are identified later in life. I then reached out to my contacts. I called Simone. <laughs> I I was aware of the fact that being remote, I had very limited access to diagnostic services. I was a huge fan of telehealth and the fact that that can sometimes give you access to what you might not have locally. Mm. So Simone, I reached out to you and said, do you know anyone who might be able to help me along this path? And that's where things started for me. And it was probably about 12 months later that I received that formal identification. Mm. And I guess during that 12 months, potentially, did it feel like some aha moments for you? Definitely. The more I researched, the more I was not surprised when I learned about mm. what my neurotype actually was. The more I could see things in my childhood 
that were signs, the more I was understanding myself. And has that understanding given you access to some more tools and strategies that can make things easier for you, Leanne? I'm still very much on the path of getting to understand what my neurotype means for me and how I can best support myself. But within this process, I've come to realize ways that I had started supporting myself into my adulthood way before I started questioning my neurotype. Things like sensory support, clothing is really difficult for me, though I sew some of my own clothes because that means that I can reduce some of those sensory barriers. And like when we talk about being able to stay organized, that can be really difficult for me. But putting supports into place that work, I use a lot of technology. I have a lot of reminders. I will use those to my advantage as much as I can so that I have less demands on myself to remember all the little things that I need to for scheduling and organizing. So I recognize what I was doing prior to my identification, but the more I learn about myself, the more I can understand what's going on and then look towards what I can do to support myself better. Leanne, reflecting on your experience as a new mother, when you weren't aware of your identification, how do you think that that impacted on your experience if you did know that you were identified as autistic and ADHD? So something from my experience, but I've also heard from the voice of many other autistic women is the challenges of that young baby stage. I mean, of course, having a new baby is not all easy as it is. But when you're autistic and not aware of that especially, we don't have that routine and consistency to thrive on when you've got a new baby, especially with your first. And on top of that, there can be this constant assault on your sensory systems within the day-to-day caring for a baby. So I think looking back, had I known that I was autistic and ADHD at the time, And if I had access to some occupational therapy to help support through those challenges, especially with the sensory challenges, that might have been very helpful for me at that time. Mm, Might have been very helpful for you to have some support with those sensory systems and just a really interesting commentary on how it might have felt looking back. And Leanne, if you were to access supports for yourself, how important would it be to find neuroaffirming supports? That's been my number one, right from looking at what sort of diagnostic services were available for me. It's really important that I'm accessing neuroaffirming services. I know that with my son's formal identification 10 years ago and being that I've worked in libraries and I'm a very avid reader, the landscape of literature around autism and neurodiversity has very much changed for the better over the past 10 years. I'm not saying there was nothing of value 10 years ago, but I'm saying that we have more and more books about neuroinclusion that are more positive about neurodiversity. And for me, that is so important within my own care and my son's care as well. 
I recognize that in learning to support my own needs better, I am then modeling that for my son as well. So that's helping set him up for success. I just want to highlight the power in that because when you spoke, something gave me a tingle about how powerful that would be for Angus to see you positively navigate supports so that he's got an example potentially to follow. And there may be many listeners that can really resonate with. I wonder if you could share an example that might be helpful for us to really understand. For me, a really recent one is I'm going to a dance class at the moment and this week the only way that I could access that dance class successfully was to take along ear defenders, just some good old PPE, pop that on and showing that it's okay to have those very obvious supports in place for yourself to not see that in a negative light, to be very positive about supporting your own needs, advocating for your own needs in that situation, that I might not need that every week, but sometimes that's what I need to participate. And did that involve a conversation or was it just a recognition on the part of Angus out of interest? So that's something that I would then speak to him about when I'm getting ready. I would say to him how my sensory needs were really highlighted for that day. So I'm taking these ear defenders with me because I know that I'm going to need them and I'm taking other choices as well with earplugs. So I've got more than one option to support myself. So we would have a conversation about that. He would see me putting those things into my bag He sees that my handbag is full of all sorts of fidgets that either I can access or he can access at any time. So it's actually using those supports in the community, which he sees me doing, but also having conversations about things where he's not there to see me doing that. Normalising the need for supports, but actually embedding these supports across typical routines and seeing, I suppose, the impact that having access to those supports has on your participation and your confidence in community. So great example. Thanks for sharing that, Leanne. I think it's really important for our autistic kids and young adults to see that in that adult space that more often than not we see these supports being placed for kids and not then being used in the community by adults. So I think it's a really good example for our kids to see that as an adult you can still advocate for your own needs. Absolutely and thinking about potentially your role as mother but also as a worker and where these supports might be integrated in an adult context quite independently and for your colleagues and peers to also understand that that's just going to help you participate in a workplace or a learning space to a better degree. Yes that happened during my study as well. I had a face-to-face assessment with myself and one other student And I just said to the teacher, I really need to stim today in order for me to participate in this assessment. If my stimming is becoming too visually disturbing for others, please let me know if I need to turn off my camera, but this is what I need to participate. And I think Mm. just being really upfront about those needs is important. 
and using the language that goes along with that as well, Leanne. So has this identification as being autistic and ADHD given you a sense of confidence in some way? I think that it's a sense of just so much understanding Mm. of myself in ways that I never have before and allows a little bit more self-compassion when I'm understanding the whys behind some of the things I'm experiencing. And to me, that was really important. That was one of the reasons why that formal identification process was important for me, because obviously everyone has a different experience and journey around that. And I wonder whether your understanding and your navigating and communication has also led to those around you having an increased sense of comfort and understanding as you're bringing your family and friends along the journey with you. I would hope so. I think there's certainly difficulties when you are a highly masking individual to then turn around when you're approaching 40 and trying to have others understand your needs and the accommodations that you might have. And sometimes that can be a very slow process because some people might think you never had these needs before when really they were always there. They just weren't recognised and accommodated previously. Mm, Yeah, very good point. It could potentially be confusing for some people. And let's hope that with the benefit of time playing out that there will be that greater understanding. Thinking about what your diagnosis might mean for you moving forwards, I know that you've done some study, but you're also still home educating your son, Angus, and you've got family responsibilities as well. Do you think any differently about what you might pursue in the future? There is an element of that, especially in the position of supporting myself to ensure that I'm not burning out. It's about recognising what those needs are, what is a maintainable level of production. Not the term that I prefer to use, but, you know, like what's a manageable level for myself. And also looking into ways to best support myself in the workplace so that I can participate fully in a way that is right for me. I've been doing a lot of professional development since I finished my diploma and I have found that a lot of that professional development is very focused on neuroaccessibility and inclusion and I would like to one day be part of the change of making workplaces more accommodating for neurodivergent individuals. Oh, that's terrific, Leanne. This is such an important space. I wonder what you might say to people that might be wondering if they should consider pursuing a diagnosis themselves. I think the identification process is such a unique individual process. I recognise as well that in a lot of parts of Australia, formal identification can be very hard to access, whether that is for financial reasons, long wait lists, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of factors that would go into whether someone does go down that formal road themselves. However, what I would say is if you are questioning whether you might be autistic or ADHD, 
is that there are some really great resources out there at the moment that are very neuro-affirming. That can be a great place for you to start just learning. Listening to others and their experience can be really helpful. It can really create that sense of community for you, as well as learning from other people's experiences to see whether you do relate at all, because of course we all have very different presentations, like I've said, within just my immediate family, we have different presentations. And Leanne, how did you go about finding some of those resources? The psychologist that I used for my formal identification had some great resources that she put me in touch with. I had found some of those things myself as well. I've been listening to some really good podcasts and always making notes of resources that they've highlighted so I can later go and check those out for myself to see if they might be a good resource for me, for myself too. I recognize that there are certain resources that I'm drawn to. I love to listen to an audio book and find that easier than reading a nonfiction book and that sort of thing. So again, this leveraging your networks and asking questions and trying to sort of navigate your way through an abundance of resources, but resources that really speak to you as what you've found to be most helpful. Yeah, that's the thing. Use what networks you have available to you. Realize that not every resource out there is actually going to speak to you, that you can pursue different resources and then you will find what is the best fit for you. We have such a range of great resources and organizations out there now. So much more, all the technology we have means access to this information. So support and advice from others can be really invaluable when you start that journey in just finding something to start with. To kickstart. Leanne, I'd just like to thank you very much for sharing your personal story. Incredibly interesting, and I really appreciate your time and the way that you've been so positively able to describe your experience with the listener in mind. So, thank you very much for being part of our Family Voices podcast today. Thanks for having me along, Simone. Leanne shares a wonderful story, an atypical process of late identification as autistic and ADHD that has really helped her understand herself. Leanne described being identified 10 years after her son and this was because she really didn't notice the differences until she was engaged in some study that she noticed some of the differences compared to her study peers and she recognised that she was a highly masking individual which is what she attributes to the delay in her identification. Leanne describes her capacity building process in really understanding herself, reaching out through her networks, building her understanding through her GP and through her allied health connections to try to connect with other professionals that could support this potential identification for her. Leanne also described how through noticing some of the supports that she needs to help her participate in community, that she has this opportunity to share the supports with her son who also experiences ASD. 
Leanne describes that her identification has given her a sense of understanding herself and self-compassion and in Leanne's words has really underpinned why it was important for her to undergo this process and it has in fact helped her then consider the future role she might play as an autistic ADHD identified person supporting neurodiversity in the workplace. We thank Leanne very much for sharing her very personal story and thank you for sharing in such an articulate, wonderful way. Thank you, Leanne. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Early Childhood Intervention Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe to your podcast app and feel free to leave a review to help us gain more understanding of what type of conversations are helpful to you. More information about this podcast can be found on ekiavic.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening.